When I was a kid, my brothers and I would often argue about um, that we were there when mom and dad got married. Of course, uh, we've got this beautiful couple up here. They're not here this morning to see it. I told them I was going to be talking about them this morning. Patty Hale was a saint. She was not pregnant on the day we got married. You know, uh, she, she, we were not there for the wedding. Let's just put it that way. But it's funny when you think back at the things you thought you were there for. Or when I think back at the life of Madison, who would be six in June, and I begin to think to myself... Like, there is so much in life that happened before her. And so I started thinking about what are some things that happened 10 years ago? 10 years ago was 2007. I know, brilliant, right? I can do simple math like that. But 10 years ago, important things were happening, like Britney Spears and Kevin Federline broke up. I know all of our hearts are still breaking over those things. Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter, died in like this freak stingray uh, accident. Wake Forest football actually won the ACC football championship that year. A gunman stormed the campus of Virginia Tech University, killing 32 people. Saddam Hussein was arrested, sentenced, and put to death in Iraq. Steve Jobs introduced the iPhone towards the end of 2006. 20 years ago, Savage Garden, Third Eye Blind, Hanson, and the Spice Girls were all sitting at the top of the music charts. Princess Diana died in a car accident and Mother Teresa shortly weeks afterwards. Mike Tyson bit the ear off Evander Holyfield. Tiger Woods at the age of 21 was the youngest golfer to win the Masters. It's amazing how time flies and how much we forget about significant moments in this world and significant moments in our life. Again, I know you're still brokenhearted over Britney Spears and Kevin Federline breaking up all those years ago. Our scripture this morning is kind of one of those moments. It's a book in the Bible that we often forget about because there's so many great books that come before it. So take a look at the book of 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. We've been working our way through the New Testament, and when you start to get to the later parts of the New Testament, the books get a little thinner, but that does not mean they don't bear a large impact. Consider in the home stretch of the, the New Testament, you have James, John, and Peter, three of the closest disciples to Jesus. So I would argue that these letters are the closest to the Gospels of Jesus. Yet most churches in America are preaching on a Sunday morning based out of the Gospels or out of the letters of Paul. We often forget about first and second Peter. First and second Peter and Jude are considered to be what's called the Catholic epistles. Now when you hear the word Catholic, we think the Catholic church. The word Catholic actually means universal. So when we talk about the Catholic church, we mean the universal church, the church connected, whether we want to recognize each other or not. And so why these are called the Catholic epistles is because it's trying to say that these letters were sent off to a lot of different churches. It wasn't just to one specific church like Paul would be writing. Peter is writing to a general group of churches. And so there's something significant that is going on within these letters. Peter, James, and John offer a different perspective of the gospel than what Paul does. Now, does that mean that Peter, James, and John contradict Paul? No, it means something simply this. If I was to preach today and preach on the gospel, I would have one perspective. If Caitlin was to preach next week and preach on her perspective of the gospel, it's going to be different. If we had a guest speaker come in and preach their perspective, it doesn't mean that we're contradicting the perspective of the gospel. It means it gives us a fuller spectrum of the gospel message. So Peter, James, John, and Paul, having very 
Murray's perspective of what the gospel looks like gives us a holistic, a fuller experience of the gospels. But there's something unique about Peter. So let's dig into it. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possessions, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. If you were tasked with identifying the greatest songs of all time, how would you begin to categorize that? How would you begin to approach it? For nearly 15 years, uh, the Rolling Stone magazine has done just that for us. And recently, Rolling Stone came out with the 500 greatest songs of all time. Uh, number 500, it was, a Smokey, uh, it was Smokey Robinson and the Miracles Shop Around. That was the number 500 song. The number one song, Bob Dylan's Like a Rolling Stone. Let's hit it. Now, there is no better description of like a Rolling Stone than the fact that it was revolutionary in what he was doing. He was just 24 years old when he turned out this song. Al Cooper, who was the organist who played this song, he said this in reflection of it. He said, there was no sheet music. We did it completely by ear. It was totally disorganized. It was totally punk. It just happened. Now, if you're a music purist, you understand just how epic this song is. Uh, Bruce Springsteen wrote this. When I was 15 and I heard like a Rolling Stone, I heard a guy who had the guts to take on the whole world, and it made me feel like I could do so as well. This is a song that played in my ears again and again as a teenager. I was a weirdo. I didn't have rap and pop on my CD rack. Oh, you remember those? Like you stack them up. Remember the CD booklets you keep in your car? Yeah, those things. I had things like the 60s and 70s rock, and so Bob Dylan has played in my head at least two gazillion times. He's actually performed this song over 2,500 times live. When you think about the song that sings to your heart, it's something that brings new life within you. That's what the song does for me. I don't know if it does it for you. We can cut it down. When you hear Paul's words, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. It's one of these songs within scripture that makes you come to life. It's one of the greatest hits of the Bible. Because as you hear this song, it gives you so much hope. It gives you so much stability. It gives you so much belonging and worth. Peter is writing to these people and he's saying, you matter. You matter so much. You are set apart. God values you. It's one of the great hits of the Bible. You can pluck it out and sing it. You can let it be the soulful song of your heart. And for nearly 1,000 years, the people of Israel had been defined by a land, by the temple that they gather to worship. But when Peter is writing here in this moment, he's saying, you are part of that people. You are now part of this chosen nation, this royal priesthood of people. You used to be defined as a people who escaped from Egypt, who came into the promised land, who lived through the times of David the Great king and through the prophets, but he says, now through Jesus Christ, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, God's 
children. This is one of those passages that, to me, it gives me life. It inspires me. It shows me that there's something more beautiful in this world, that we as the church can be better than what we can conceive ourselves to be. (coughs) And the reality of the context of this passage really should elevate that message within us. Because Peter's not writing to a comfortable middle class in suburban town America to tell them, you are a royal nation and a chosen people. Who is Peter writing to? He's writing to a group of people that are having a very difficult time. It's hard to use the word persecution when it comes to the church. There were pocket times in the church's history where they faced persecution. It first came from the Jews who thought they were heretical, rightly so, because when you have a guy who's claiming to be the son of God, that was, <laughs> that was heretical in their minds. But then persecution came in pockets from Rome, from emperors like Nero and Domitian. And these men would pocket times uh, persecute the Christians. In fact, Peter was a a victim of persecution. Peter, when he lived in Rome, was crucified by the Romans. Except what's interesting about Peter is that he chose not to be crucified in the same way as his Lord. They honored him by saying, you can be crucified upside down. Because Peter, in his mind, could not conceive of dying the same way that Jesus was executed. And so when Peter writes this, he's writing to a group of people who are facing hardship. They're facing turmoil. And his message to them is, there is hardship and there is turmoil going on in your life. But despite what the world around you is doing, he says, you are called to be like Jesus. He calls them to repay evil with blessings, to do what is right even in the face of suffering, to act honorably, to be good stewards of God's grace, to cling tightly to God each day. And that phrase in 9 through 12 really captures it when he says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's possessions. I wonder if these words ring true within your life. For me, when I hear this, it's like hearing my, one of my favorite songs of all time. Does that ring true within your life? The King of Pop had one of the great songs, just Man in the Mirror. <laughs> you know that song? And it was also mocked by SNL in such wonderful ways. But it's a call for us to look at ourselves and begin to examine ourselves. To see how we understand and perceive ourselves. So I want you to do something. It might seem a little silly, but I want you to take out your smartphones and put it on like selfie mode. And if you just have a flip phone, we need to talk about that afterwards. Unless it's a burner phone for your work as a spy, then that's completely understandable. And if you don't have a smartphone, just you know, get next to somebody else. And I just want you to take it out and put it on selfie mode. Don't look at the person next to you. Don't tweet about how awful this sermon is going so far. Don't text the person next to you. Just just kind of take it out. And I want you to look at yourself. (laughs) Over the last half century, uh, psychologists and anthropologists have found that the way we see ourselves ultimately determines how we live and act in this world. That one's self-perception, one's self-worth, one's self-esteem is the prevailing influence of your life. So if you see yourself as great, well, then everything you do is great. If you look at yourself as a loser, then every day you're going to act like you're the, the mayor of Loserville. If you see yourself as a victim, then you let people victimize you. Or you look at other people and want to blame them. If you see yourself as good for nothing, then we begin to look ourselves as a piece of trash. So look at yourself. 
The power of positive thinking is a real thing. When you hear this phrase, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, God's possessions. Is that what you see? You see, if we see ourselves as good or bad or hopeful, that determines the way that we live and act every single day. Each of our perspectives is different, but each of our perspectives matter. Do you see yourself in the way that God sees you? Do you understand the value of your life in the way that God values you? You see, Peter writes these words in chapter 1. He says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you through Christ on the revealed on that day. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had once when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who is holy calls you to be holy. For it says, Be holy as I am holy. Peter is saying to us, God is holy. And God views you as something that is holy. Let that sink in for just a second. Are you allowing your perspectives of yourself to hinder how you live each day? Are you allowing the limitations you place on your life limit how God wants to use you each and every single day? As one author put it, if your life stinks, it probably does. If you think the world is out to get to you, it probably is. If you think you deserve more, you probably do. The only thing in this world holding you back from becoming more, in fact, is you. There's no sugarcoating. You're your worst enemy. You are the only one standing in the way of your goals and your success. Do you see yourself as God sees you? God desires for you to be more, to be holy, to be set apart, to be something altogether different. Uh, over the last couple months, uh, there's been a movie that has been playing over and over again in our house, and if it's not playing, that means the soundtrack is playing our house, and that's from the recent movie, Trolls. Now, let me just go ahead and say this. The movie's awesome. In one scene, there is a uh, character that, that toots cupcakes, um, and so I'm just saying, and my children would be proud of me that I said toot because they would say, Daddy, we don't say fart. So I said toot, so I covered myself there, even though I just said that, and I get in trouble. I'm the one that says things we're not supposed to say, and then they remind me I'm not supposed to say it. So... Justin Timberlake is uh, one of the primary characters in the movie, and he does a lot of the songs, and they do a lot of old songs and put new meanings on it, and it's crazy to think about. It's been 20 years since uh, NSYNC and Justin Timberlake came out with their first album. No, that didn't make my top 500 list, unless you're really looking through and wanting to find it. But 10 years ago, Justin Timberlake came out with a song. Uh, the name of the song was Sexy Back. <laughs> And uh, I'm not going to let my kids listen to that album, but they can listen to Trolls every single day because we're not going to be talking about bringing sexy back in my house. But that is a sense what Peter is saying in this moment. He's not saying, like, bring sexy back in your life. He's saying, bring holiness back in your life. God is calling you to be holy as God is holy. Consider God's holiness for just a second. This is a God that is so big, so eternal, so everything. This is a God who hung the stars in the sky. This is the God who spun the planet into existence. This is the God who spoke and life came into being. That's God's holiness. In the book of Isaiah, it says that Isaiah the prophet saw God, and it said that he literally fell down and wanted to die, and his immediate reaction was to start confessing everything he ever did in his life. 
The psalm declares that God spoke the world, and yet his love endures forever. The Hebrew word for holy is kadash. It it means sacred, set apart, because God is holy altogether different. This word is used 611 times in Scripture in the Old Testament alone. C.S. Lewis wrote, A man can no more diminish the glory of God by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling darkness on the wall of his cell. God is holy. God is set apart. God is so huge. Yet God values us. God loves us deeply. God desires for us to be different and set apart. God is calling us to bring holiness back in our life. But how do we do that? My Sunday school teacher from when I was a kid would say, pray, read the Bible, and go to church. Like those would be the things I was told to do as a child. But is that what holiness is about? See, Peter is talking about us living a royal life, a life set apart, a a priestly life, a a life about bringing holiness back into who we are. So what does that look like? Holiness begins in a simply complex way. It begins by pursuing God. Again, God is holy, so we pursue what is holy. God is inviting us through Christ to journey each day with the living and breathing God. Why do we complicate it so much? Think about this for just a second. The God of the universe, the God who placed the stars in the sky, decided to come into human existence through the form of Jesus Christ, who walked among us, who healed us, who showed us a better way of living, who invited us to journey with him each day. That's so mind-numbingly easy, how we pursue God. You see, more than just pursuing God, we come to a better understanding of God as we decide to journey with Jesus each day. Not only is God beginning to transform us, but we begin to see life and the world through the eyes of God. The more closely we pursue God, the more we understand that holiness is not that far away. As a great Richard Rohr wrote this, How can I be holy? We don't have to make ourselves holy. We already are, and we just don't know it yet. In Christian terminology, this inherent and holiness is called divine indwelling, or the gift of God's spirit. The awakening of the true self in God is essential, foundational, and the primary task of faith. Listen to this. Thus, authentic religion is more about, abst- uh, more about subtraction than addition, more letting go of a false self than attempting to engineer a new true self. You cannot create what you already have. If we pursue God each day, then God begins to reveal to us who we are in God's creation. So yes, praying and reading God's word and engaging in worship and faith conversations at church is a part of pursuing holiness if we are pursuing God in those things. But even still, holiness is much more than that. God is not hiding. God is not withdrawing ourselves to us. Instead, God is saying, draw to me. So holiness begins when we consciously and deliberately and repetitively pursue God each and every single day. 
like I said earlier, when I was a, a teenager, I didn't listen to a lot of pop music or rap music that was raining at the time. I was a bit different. So my CD case, um, which I just think about, they say don't text and drive nowadays, but you used to have like literally this booklet of CDs that you would have eyes down picking out a CD while you're driving the whole time. But my CD case had things like Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath, Megadeth, Pink Floyd, Green Day, Johnny Cash, Bob Dylan, the list goes on on and on. What do all these artists have in common? Well, it's about sticking it to the man. It's about inciting rebellion against the corruption and cultural norms. So my favorite album when it comes to sticking to the man is Pink Floyd's The Wall, which is one of the greatest albums of all time. Just think about this song, another, another brick in the wall. We don't need no education, we don't need no thought control, no dark sarcasm in the classroom. Teachers, leave these kids alone. All in all, we're just another brick in the wall. Man, that's a brilliant album. Believe it or not, that's what Peter is calling us to. That's what holiness is. Holiness is rebelling against the norm. It's inciting a rebellion against what is easy in our life and choosing what is abnormal, holiness. It is normal to pursue selfishness. It's it's normal to make life about you. It's normal to live uncontrolled lives, but holiness is wholly abnormal. And so pursuing holiness is about inciting rebellion against the norm and pursuing what is abnormal. Holiness is rebelling against the norm of society, the corruptions of our heart and soul to have culturally accepted something solely different. Insincerity, envy, slander, greed, gluttony of all kinds, selfishness, indifference, apathy, injustice, consumerism, false security, the worth of abundance of popularity, self-indulgence, hate, grudges, and self clothing on and on. God is calling us to stop pursuing those things, rebel against those things, and choose something wholly different. Holiness is less about addition and more about subtraction. And in subtraction, we find a better way in God. Holiness is about seeing the extraordinary through the eyes of God, seeing something much better for yourself than what we can add on by our own pursuits. So holiness is rebelling against the norm and engaging in the abnormal. 2016 got the reputation of being an awful year, and I would argue there was some good in there, but what made 2016 was really crappy is when you lose people like David Bowie. One more song, can we play one more song? Is that all right? One of David Bowie's greatest hits was the song Changes. And the the spirit, the the lyrics speak for themselves. It's a call to stop seeing self-worth wrapped up in so many different things and begin to hope for a better transformation in our life, a better change to happen in our life. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing the song at all. But that's what holiness is. It's an invitation for us to start see some changes within our life. God is calling you to something different, to something higher, to something holier. As Peter writes this, he's saying, follow Jesus in such a way that you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He reminds us to live such good lives that even people around us will see Christ through us. This is a call to live a life changed and transformed by Jesus and like Jesus every single day. You see, these changes begin to happen when we pursue God indefinitely in our life. 
Changes happen when we begin to make those conscious decisions to wage war against what is so easy in our life, rebel against that, and choose what is abnormal. And we discover that God is making us holy. We discover that God is transforming us to be more like Jesus. We discover that pursuing God means that we are not repaying evil with evil, but we repaying evil with blessings. And as we follow Jesus, holiness looks what is right and what is good and what's just and noble and true. And we do those things even if they aren't easy. As we rebel against the norm, as we begin to stop pushing against everything that seems so easy in our life, transformation takes place. And all of a sudden, we're not living self-righteous, self-centered, and self-destructive lives, but we're living lives that are authentic and holy as God is holy. Despite what the world around us is doing, Peter says, choose to be like Jesus. The last thing I want us to take away from this text is this. This is a challenge to be a royal priesthood together. There is no individualistic pronouns in here. This is to a community, a church of people. So when I hear these words, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Let it make your soul come to life together. Let's have a, a sense of joy together. Let it energize us and see the world differently together. Let it give us hope that the church can be something more in this world. God wants to give us a sense of blessedness, a sense of hope, a sense of stability and belonging and worth. God is trying to create and solidify a new identity individually with you and collectively together with us. So may we let the Spirit of God make us holy together. May we let the Spirit of God let us live like Jesus together. Let us be a royal priesthood together.